0: Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast agriculture through a modern lens. This is The AgriPod with Alice McFarland.
1: On this episode, CP continues to outperform CN on the percentage of hopper cars supplied to shippers. Those statistics come from the Ag Transport Coalition, which monitors rail performance on behalf of shippers and producer groups. CP supplied 79% of the cars ordered in that shipping week compared to 68% for CN, and those numbers show a small decline from the previous week. I'll speak with Milt Poirier with QGI Consulting. They produce the weekly report for the Ag Transport Coalition Consortium of Agriculture Groups that produce data and report on rail service and performance. Saskatchewan's insect specialist calls 2020 a relatively moderate year for pests in the province's agricultural crops. Flea beetle and cutworm in canola and other crops, grasshoppers, diamondback moth, just to name a few. James Tansey with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture will discuss the areas most impacted by insects and the pests that could be a real troublemaker in the 2021 growing season. After the break, Milt Poirier.
0: Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane.
1: Milt Poirier is with QGI Consulting. Milt, uh, we're going to talk about how rail service performance is impacting the export of Western Canadian grain. So the Grain Week 18 report was released and there was a slight uptick for CN, and order fulfillment, which is basically the delivery of rail cars to shippers when they need them. And there was a decline for CP. So First of all, explain what happened across the system and within the provinces.
0: Sure. Well, I guess there was a little bit of good news in week 18, particularly on the CN front. Um, They did manage to improve their uh, order fulfillment performance for the second week in a row, but unfortunately still only got to 68 percent, which is far lower than what shippers are looking for, obviously, but better than what we've seen in recent weeks. Also somewhat positive for CN is the fact that they were able to supply um, over 5,000 cars uh, in week 18 for the sixth time in the last 10 weeks. That's a good measure of capacity. Um, It's still below the levels that are required and expected, but positive nonetheless. Um, CP performance, as you mentioned, took a slight step back in week 18. They dropped from the low 80s, where they've been for a few weeks, to 79% but still better than CN. At a provincial level, the performance, uh, very much like what we've seen in recent weeks, erratic, if you will, across provinces, uh, inconsistent performance for an individual railway across different provinces, and also inconsistent within an individual province across railways. For the second week in a row, Manitoba seems to have uh, been the recipient of the best overall performance out of the three. Saskatchewan saw some improvement from both CN and CP, and unfortunately, Alberta saw overall performance decline a little bit.
1: Now I understand that about five thousand cars were spotted for the sixth time in ten weeks. That's positive, but not quite where demand is from the industry's perspective. So it's good to see that a level of capacity is being supplied, even if it's not quite where it needs to be. But ultimately, low order fulfillment levels result in the carryover of unfilled orders week to week. And this has a real impact on the supply chain for shippers and farmers, at least in efficiencies, costs and supply chain scrambles to adjust those shipments and logistics that result from the railways not providing service on time. So how did demand carryover impact Week 18? And going forward, are we going to be in a position to recover from the railways falling behind on shipper demand.
0: Well, week 18 looked a lot like uh, what we've been seeing for uh, a couple of months now. Uh, CN and CP both uh, continue to be plagued with this week-to-week carryover and at fairly significant numbers. Um, In week 18, uh, CN and CP combined uh, managed to not fill uh, more than 2,300 orders uh, for the third straight week, which means that that number of orders is gonna get carried over into week 19. This basically has the effect of reducing the available rail capacity for new business in subsequent weeks because the railways are always playing catch up with what they did not fulfill in prior weeks. There are some other concerns out there, frankly. Um, There are signs that the rail system is slowing down, which is not unusual for this time of year. It generally does in the winter. Uh, but perhaps slowing down a little more quickly or, or to a greater extent than we might have expected, particularly this year, given the mild weather that we've had so far. We see this in a couple of ways. Uh, system traffic volumes are consistently high in recent weeks, averaging between thirteen and 14,000 loads on wheels per day. And this, uh, despite the fact that the number of orders that the railways um, are accepting for service over the last couple of weeks has actually gone down. Furthermore, we see the count of so-called idle cars, which are loaded cars uh, that don't move on the railway network for two plus days, which is an important metric of fluidity that ATC tracks, um, has increased significantly in the last 10 days and most notably on CN, which is where it's of the greatest concern. We're also seeing the fluidity in some of the major corridors, particularly Vancouver and Prince Rupert, um, seemingly diminishing uh, and we see this in, in three basic ways one as i just mentioned is the high number of idle cars and they are very concentrated in these west coast corridors uh, two is an impact on rail car unloads at the port and we have seen unloads uh, drop a little bit in the last few weeks at vancouver and at prince Rupert. And lastly, with the uh, buildup of vessel lineups at the ports, which has also uh, been an issue for a number of weeks now on the West Coast, both at Prince Rupert and at Vancouver.
1: Now, in the winter, we tend to see quite a bit more congestion, particularly at the Port of Vancouver. Uh, For pulses, there have been some concerns on the container side, whether it's having an impact as rail yards get full and they can't get the cars to the locations they need to in Vancouver. And as we're getting into the thick of winter, what are you watching for in these reports uh, to see these issues like the lack of on-time delivery uh, starting to improve?
0: Well, a couple of things, I think, at a high level that will be some pretty clear indicators as we come through the holiday period and turn the calendar into the new year. First is whether or not traffic levels uh, start to even out and decline a little bit on the network. Uh, They've been very high, as I mentioned earlier. Um, Part of that driven by the slowing down of the network and the increase in the number of idle cars, um, particularly on CN. And if this does not happen, um, does that result in some network congestion developing? Two, uh, are the railways able to shake this week-to-week carryover of unfulfilled orders and quote-unquote get even with demand? Um, And if so, how do they do this? Uh, Barring a slowdown at Christmas, which is not unusual, um, the only ways really to achieve that are to realign capacity with demand by either reducing the number of orders accepted for service, also known as rationing, which we've seen lots of this year, or increasing capacity to serve the demand that's out there in the marketplace. And that frankly is not something that we've seen this year as both railways seemingly have have hit a capacity threshold that they haven't been able to get by. So I think those are the key things to watch as we go forward through the holiday season.
1: Milt Poirier is with QGI Consulting, the company that monitors rail service for the Ag Transport Coalition. Its members include the Alberta Wheat Commission, the Canadian Canola Growers Association, the Canadian Oilseed Processors Association, the Inland Terminal Association of Canada, Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers Pulse Canada, and the Western Grain Elevator Association. After the break, Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture insect specialist James Tansey talks about what was bugging crops in 2020, and he'll tell us about some of the pests to watch for during the 2021 growing season.
0: Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane.
1: James Tansey is a provincial insect specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. Uh, James, 2020 was not a bad year for insects in Saskatchewan. So first of all, let's cover some of the major insect pests. Uh, there are always concerns about the, the early emerging canola plants. What were we seeing this spring?
2: Yeah, I'd rank 2020 as, as relatively moderate. We did have, in the spring, we had some localized flea beetle damage, and for some of those regions, some of those sites were also experienced some wind damage, so you had some sandblasting coupled with flea beetle damage, so there was some overspray for flea beetles and some reseeding of canola crops associated with that. We saw some local hotspots of cutworms, primarily redback, but a little bit of pale western cutworm, primarily in canola, but also in some other crops. Overall, it was a relatively moderate year, though.
1: So now, grasshoppers. I understand there were a few hotspots, and where were they reported?
2: We saw uh, primarily uh, two-stripe grasshoppers in the bulk of the province or where uh, species identification was undertaken. Saskatchewan Crop Insurance, of course, undertakes a large survey of the grasshopper population throughout Saskatchewan. They hit 1170 sites this year. So two-stripe grasshopper were dominant. Uh, We had hotspots near Bursay and Dinsmore, uh, numbers exceeding uh, economic threshold, so typically economic threshold for grasshoppers is 10 per square meter or greater. We had numbers approaching, you know, in the 5 to 10 per square meter in the southwest, in a number of different RMs, the southeast, west central, and central regions as well. Uh, we also had some hot spots for clear wing grasshopper um, in early July in the Capel Valley near Craven, uh, and uh, later in the year in the RM of Laurier. So the ones in Laurier were localized primarily to pasture areas, but these uh, were also working their way into some cereal crops. The interesting thing about uh, those populations, the, uh, the clearing grasshopper populations, is they were being strongly influenced by a fungus called Entomoptera. And uh, it was really laying waste to these populations. I mean, lots lots of debtors all over the place. This fungus forces the grasshopper to climb to the top of a plant and grab on. Uh, and then the fungal spores uh, rain down on all their pals, so uh, it can have a relatively rapid uh, decimating effect on grasshopper populations. And seem to be in these cases.
1: Uh, I don't know if it was just me, but it just seemed like conditions were quite windy in the province. So, does that have an impact on insects, or was there no impact?
2: No, the the impact I, I suspect was pretty strong on some, so, you know, with that sandblasting damage coupled with flea beetles. But I think with, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the notables that that might have had a negative impact on included diamondback moth, we were getting early arrival and some big numbers in some areas. It's interesting because these animals actually fly at really high elevations from southern latitudes in North America, and they can cover hundreds of kilometers a day. So they're in relatively high winds at high altitude, but they tend to not fly uh, when it's windy at surface latitude. So even a wind of about 10 kilometers per hour can greatly decrease their propensity to fly. So we had early arrival big numbers, but not a lot of, uh, of diamondback damage. So we did see some damage uh, in the southeast in the early spring, but very, very few reports of spraying. So I think the wind really reduced their ability to get around, find mates, lay eggs, and contribute to the next generation.
1: Now, this summer, we saw a lot of pictures circulating on uh, social media about a pest called red bug. Now, I know that's not the scientific name. There are probably other insects that uh, fall under that title as well.
2: Yeah, you're you're, you're very right. It's Paratricus convivus that that we've been seeing around the province. We typically see it in uh, seedling canola, and we had a couple of reports this year The other two that you're referring to are the twice-stabbed stink bug and the white-margin burrower bug. And the nymphs of both of these animals are also bright red, aggregate. But when you get a chance to take a look at a picture, Paratrechus is a little bit more streamlined, a little bit more teardrop-shaped. But they can occur at very high numbers. You dig just beneath the soil and you, you, you can come across just thousands of them in a relatively small area. So both nymphs and adults can be present seems to be overlapping generations. Uh, We're still learning a lot about this critter. Its host range seems to be pretty broad. We typically see in canola crops, but we had reports last year of uh, a lot of damage in flax. Uh, We've had historical, uh, in the last couple of years, heavy damage to corn crops. Uh, And they were actually spotted in November in the southwest in a cereal crop. So we're still learning a lot about this animal.
1: Now, I understand another insect on the radar for next year is wheat midge in northern areas, especially if there is a wet spring. So we'll just have producers keep that in their back pocket. Uh, James, uh, let's look ahead to the 2021 growing season. Are there any forecast maps out yet for insects?
2: We do. The the, the maps that we currently have are for the pea leaf weevil uh, and numbers are low for that one uh, over the province. So the the, the ministry conducts a a survey over the bulk of the pea growing uh, region of Saskatchewan and numbers continue to be low. We have a little bit of uptick in the far south relative to last year. And the other uh, map that we have out now, of course, is the grasshopper populations. Uh, So we have the forecast for those. Overall, the populations by that forecast are decreased relative to what we saw last year. But weather conditions, particularly in the early part of the season, can have a dramatic effect on these. If we get lots of wet conditions, that can be really hard on the nymphs as they're coming up. Uh, So direct drowning, and it exposes them to uh, bacterial and fungal infections as well. So uh, they they like it dry. If it's a little wetter, a little bit cooler, then it it tends to sicken the young animals.
1: James Tansey is a Provincial Insect Specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of December 21st, 2020. A meat processing plant in Ontario temporarily closed following a COVID-19 outbreak. At least 82 people at the Guelph Cargill plant tested positive. Roughly 130 workers, both positive cases and close contacts are self-isolating. When the plant's idling process began, efforts were made to prevent food waste. Cargill said it would process nearly 1.55 million meals worth of meat currently in the facility before a complete shutdown. Cargill said it is encouraging other employees at the 1,000 worker facility to get tested. The fall calf run is wrapped up and the Fed cattle market continued to be stagnant. CanFax manager and senior analyst Brian Periah said it was disappointing because there's usually a slight jump in the market right towards the end. And he said the market was almost $20 per hundredweight below a year ago. Perioff said calf prices held up despite the fact that feedlots were still reporting losses. A Saskatchewan farming operation pled guilty to violating occupational health and safety regulations. The charges stemmed from an incident back in August 2019 where a worker became pinched between a skid shack and the bucket of a tracked hoe, resulting in serious injuries. K. Hausler Farms was fined a total of $20,000 for failing to give proper notice of an accident and also failure to ensure the health and safety of workers resulting in a serious injury. G3 Canada opened three new elevators in Alberta. Wetaskiwin and Stetler County facilities are now in full operation, while Arakanah will begin receiving grain shortly. This will mean a total of six G3 elevators will operate in Alberta, with Carmangay and Morinville opening earlier in 2020, and Vermilion under construction and due to open in 2021. In Saskatchewan, the Swift Current facility under construction will also open in 2021. The new elevator. Is feature the same high-efficiency infrastructure where trucks can unload grain in less than five minutes. Trains of up to 150 cars can load in continuous motion on the loop track in a matter of hours and the elevators ship grain to G3 Terminal, Vancouver. Plans for grand opening events at the new facilities were set aside for the time being due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The federal government announced an additional $100 million in funding under the Emergency Food Security Fund. The new funding will go to Food Banks Canada, Breakfast Club of Canada, Second Harvest, Community Food Centres, The Salvation Army and Chef's Table. A further $5 million will be allocated from reserve funds. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebo said an increasing number of Canadians have been facing challenges in putting food on the table Due to the pandemic, as a result, food banks and food security organizations experienced increased pressure, such as higher demands and fewer resources. Funding from the program has supported more than 3,200 local food organizations across Canada. The Western Grains Research Foundation has made a contribution to the University of alberta Breton Plots. The foundation will provide $284,000 in infrastructure investments to purchase a plot combine, a front-wheel assist tractor, and build equipment storage. Foundation Executive Director Garth Patterson said in order to fund world-class crop production research, there needs to be the capacity to carry the research out. The University of alberta Breton Plots have been operating for 90 years and are one of the longest-running crop rotation trials in North America. Viterra will be sending a very special gift to STARS. The STARS calendar campaign raised $42,000, supported by Viterra's customers. Roughly 1,000 calendars were sold at grain handling and marketing facilities across the prairies on behalf of the nonprofit air ambulance organization. In the calendar, the charity shares its mission stories of rescue and recovery through a patient's eyes. The calendar campaign is in its 28th year, and while it has always been a significant source of revenue for Stars, it's particularly important this year when so many fundraisers had to be canceled. The Federal Agriculture Minister announced two appointments to the Canadian Grain Commission. Marie-Claude Bebo named Doug Charney as Chief Commissioner and Patty Rocher as Assistant Chief. Charney has been an active player in the grain industry for 24 years and was appointed Assistant Chief Commissioner of CGC in 2017. He has been the Acting Chief Commissioner since June 2020. The term for his appointment is three years. Patty Roesher has held various leadership and advisory positions over her 25-year career in the agriculture sector, most recently as general manager of the Keystone Agricultural Producers. The term of her appointment is four years, effective immediately.